CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Okay, and just like that, we are ready to go before I forget. No show next Monday due to the long weekend. Our show will air Thursday. That's Thursday at 2 o'clock. Yes. So that'll be dead. My name is Michael Gell. I'm joined by Ryan Coop. I know I kind of botched the intro, but I didn't want to forget about that sweet show being moved. Um, this is the Canadian Football Countdown. We should probably mention that at some point during the show today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. Thought it was a crazy day for the city of Winnipeg with the Canada Summer Games online. I hope you go out and support those athletes who put in a lot of work to represent their province and by all accounts a good job by Winnipegers to support uh that initiative and that is on through till next Sunday. Not this coming Sunday but next Sunday. And all in around Winnipeg. It's been a great week of Winnipeg sports, hasn't it? Yeah, and you know what that was my beautiful segue into the Thursday night miracle at IGF. I don't know if anybody will have another name for it. I don't think it requires another name to be quite frank. Nope, that's what I've been calling it, the Thursday Night Miracle at IGF. I mean, there's what else do you want to say? It's, uh, it's nothing less than a miracle. I mean, the Bombers down 12 points, a minute 35 left in the game. For all intents and purposes, this football game is over at that point. People are leaving. I don't know why, but... You know, people trying to beat the traffic, leave games I early. Mean, how, how many football games have you been to where there's that game stealing scores such as Steph Logan did? And then, sure, you get the garbage touchdown to get it back to respectability? I mean, there's been countless football games like that. Oh, for sure. And... Lots of people left this game after that Steph Logan touchdown with about a minute 35 I mean, left. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, um, not like I personally don't agree with leaving a game early, and I've never done so, and I never intend to do so. Um, but I understand the standpoint in people's minds of okay, like there's no way the Bombers are going to come back and win this game at this point. I mean, let's be real here, Mike. That drive where where Logan ended that off with a touchdown. I mean. The Bombers' defense just... That ticked me off, honestly. The Bombers' defense just gave up on that drive. It's like sit straight, running plays. It's like everybody in the stadium knew what was coming, and they couldn't stop. And then you have rushes of 19 yards, 21 yards, 23 yards. like, And then the big 35. So so I don't blame people for thinking the game was over at that point, because I did as well. Um, I didn't think there was a chance in the world the Bombers were going to come back and win at that point. Um, all of a sudden they get the football, they start marching down the field the first time, and you start to get these crazy thoughts in your head, right? Like, okay, well now, ooh, if we can get out of bounds here, and then we'll get into the end zone here, and that leaves this much time on the clock, and then we're going to kick an onside kick, we're going to get that, and then we have to march all the way down the field, and you're thinking these crazy things in your head, right? Like, these, like, 12 plays in the next so-and-so many seconds have mm -hmm. to happen exactly like this, and the dream scenario could come true. I mean, how many times do we talk about the if we did a touchdown, if they did an onside hit, if they did another, you know? And it happened. I mean, you can't chalk it up like more of a dream finish than it did for the Bombers. And and I think we have to allude to something that you put on our show's Twitter account, and that is the receivers that were utilized. You know, to set up the combat, the T.J. Thorpes. You know, it wasn't your Darwin Adams, Weston Dressler, who was injured at that point in the game. Yeah. Um, but it was the way they went about it. And unfortunately, 
Montreal did Montreal and I I hate to kind of sum this up. Montreal lost the game on that first touchdown, not the game winning drive. The the like, the one right before that. The one right before the one right before the onside hit because I mean look at how much cushion they were giving the bomber that it's like seven yards, eight yards, fifteen yards, wide open. So Matt Nichols to just slice and dice his way, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh crap, you know what, maybe we got to defend. I would like to start a petition to rename Prevent Defense, because I don't think it's an accurate name for it. It's not. It's... I would like to rename it to, let's just keep giving up yards and hope they run out of time, because that's exactly what Prevent Defense is. It's like people have been saying, more often than not, you play prevent defense to prevent yourself from winning and not the other team. And that's right. what it does because, you know, you're scared to give up that big touchdown. But if you let a team execute and execute and one pass at a time, boom, quick four second play out of bounds. Okay, we're a couple more yards down the field. Like, the Alouettes left a lot of time on the clock for the Bombers. And it's crazy to think in a minute and 35, you're going to get a touchdown, onside kick all the way down the field, get another touchdown. But. I mean, it's the CFL. I mean, I'm just blown away by another fact. It's not like this was Hamilton defense, no pun intended. This no! This is a veteran Montreal defense was I'm shocked somebody didn't take the initiative and say, hold on a minute, this can't be happening. Yeah, and I think, uh, I'm just going to look it up here, but the actual number of tackles that... Montreal missed on that final on those final two drives. It's ridiculous. Like this is an Alouette's defense that's considered one of the tops in the league. Um, I didn't expect the Bombers' offense into their. I mean, for the majority of the game, they struggled because Montreal's defense played pretty great. But in those final two drives, that's something I have never seen from the Alouette's defense, and it, it appalled me. You know, this is a team that lives and dies by its defense, you could say, right? Like, constantly one of the top defenses in the league year in I mean, the defense bailed them out the first three weeks. There's no doubt about that. Right, constantly, ever since Anthony Calvillo retired, this team, the backbone of this team, has been the defense uh, and carried it at times as the offense has struggled. Coming into this game, the offense had averaged 20 points, only beaten 20 points once. Um, And I believe that was that surprising win over Calgary. All of a sudden in this game, the offense puts up 40 points on the board, but the defense gives up 41. So that's something to me. I mean, that's a total flip of what you'd expect to come out of this football game. I mean, absolutely. Like, I don't know. Like, for me, I I have a lot more concerns than I should about a 3-2 and two football team. You know, I should feel good about the Bombers being 3-2, and two, but frankly, I mean, we're talking about one two-minute sequence away from being 4-1. and one. Yeah. Or we're talking one two-minute sequence away from being 2-3. and three. It's the margin for error and... I know that this is kind of off script, but it's no given that the Bombers get into the playoffs. I mean, the Riders, for my money, falling behind 10 nothing, and then ending up doing what they did to Toronto and Duran Carter finally showing up with some circus light catches. That Not to mention another four-touchdown game from Kevin Glenn. Like, I'm just wondering... How much of a magic carpet the Riders are on? What do you mean by that? Can this continue? I think it could. I think this was certainly a game like, for them. Yeah, go, go ahead. I think this was certainly a game for them. I mean, I'll be clear coming into this game. I, I picked Toronto all the way to win this one. I thought the Riders might make it interesting. But to me, Toronto is just the better football team. And the Riders, to their credit, went and outplayed them this week. Picked up the win when I didn't think they would, and I think this is a win that they can definitely build the momentum on. Like for me, I look at Saskatchewan last game before this one against Tr- against uh, Calgary, and I thought there's no way, there's no way the way Ricky Ray's playing, 
That being said, one could make the argument, you know, Toronto had a short week, played Monday. Well, and I would also argue that second half of that game against Calgary. The Riders played pretty good, given, especially given now you look at what Calgary did this week against Ty Cats. I mean, that's a whole different story in itself. Yeah, we'll get to that later. We'll get to that. But, um, yeah, the Riders, I think this is a win that they can definitely build off of. I mean, and I know, and we're going to kind of, I don't want to get too far into this because I know what you're going to say about this in terms of the parity between the East and the West Division in the league. Right now, the Bombers are sitting fourth place in the West Division with a winning record of three and two. The Toronto Argonauts are at 500 in their first place in the East. So, I mean, the Bombers would be tied for first place in the East Division right now. The Saskatchewan Roughriders two points back. Um the West has had their way with the East Division this year, and it does every year, and it's continuing right now. What does the CFL do if the fifth-place team in the West is better than the third-place team in the East? I know the crossover, you know, relegates, you know, the fourth-place team right now. Mm-hmm. But what a story that would be. I mean, it could happen. If the Riders go 10 and 8, 9 and 9, the Bombers go 11 and 7. Well, I think we're going to be hard pressed to see that happen because the teams in the West do play each other a lot yet. And so you're going to see some wins and losses pile up from that. Although, although last year the Riders did come close to almost being qualified to make a crossover position, yeah. right? So. Um. Yeah, I mean, East Division struggling against the West. Has um, Labor Day been any better in the last 10 years? Well, now that we've won on Labor Day, it changes everything, right? I'd argue every year it's the, it's the big day of, uh, oh, will this be the year the Bombers finally win on Labor Day? No, no, it's not. Oh, maybe this year we got it. No, 52 nothing. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess I see what you're saying, but... You know what, I'm looking at this. Let's say the Bombers and the Riders split those remaining two games. The Bombers would win the season series by virtue of their week one win. You know, it's not inconceivable. However, Saskatchewan is about to bat with PC and talk to me in two weeks how that goes. Yeah. Um, for the Alouettes, I mean, with the East Division struggling as much as they are, Toronto's in first place with at three and three. The Alouettes at two and four. Ottawa's at one four and one, and Hamilton at oh five and oh. I mean, for a team like Montreal, piling up the wins early on in the season, like that could lead you to finishing first place in that division. Don't you agree? Yeah. And that's something that this week, I mean, they blew it in the final two minutes. For all intents and purposes, the Montreal Alouettes should be three and three right now, tied with Toronto for first place in the division. How do you sit for 12 days on something? And like now that? they go into a bye week after after having that, blowing that lead late in the game. Is this the worst possible way to go into a bye week? Like, can you think of a worst, a, a worst possible way to go into the bye week? I think it's certainly more gut-wrenching than Hamilton supposedly going into a bye week this week after that. 60 to 1. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, right? And that's what you and I were talking about earlier. Assume, like, Hamil- Calgary beats Hamilton 60 to 1 this week. Would you rather go into the bye week after a 60 to 1 loss or after blowing a 12 point lead in the final minute and 30 seconds? For me, it'd be 60 to 1. Just pretend the writing's been on the wall for far too long. These losses, I'm, I'm curious to see how Montreal responds. Montreal's the, the, offense got going pretty well in this they're game. They're a veteran team. Montreal just can't get it together. Their offense has let them down. Their defense bailed them out for a couple wins. Now the offense steps up, but the defense kind of lets them down. This game had everything. Thursday night, Bombers, Alouettes, at Investors Group Field. That was one of the wildest games I've ever seen. Wow. And, you know, yeah. it started off with the... Apparently Justin Medlock's struggling to make field goals now. He hits one off the off the goalpost, which you know I haven't double checked on the facts on this, but I'm pretty sure every time the Alouettes are in town, someone hits the goalpost. I remember that a couple years ago there was that one game both teams hit the goalpost. Last time someone hit the post again. This time I swear it happens every time the Alouettes are in town, and it's just a weird coincidence to me. 
that that happens you you have that early on in the game and then i mean if we keep going on here let's talk about that play on the final play of the third quarter the uh Is that the play would have the Eugene, I believe it's Eugene Lewis. Anyway, the guy knocks it out of his hand. The guy somehow keeps it in bounds. Yeah. And then picks it up. And runs I mean, it. it starts off with the weirdest fumble I've ever seen either. Like, normally you expect a fumble to just tumble along the ground. No, it goes sailing through the air. <laughs> bounces right before the sideline. Dives out of bounds. Hits it in. Bounces right before the sideline. And props to BJ Cunningham for having the... Uh, you know, having the foresight to go and pick that up, realize it's still a live ball, and keep running down the field. Goes on for a 70-something yard gain. I, I, for me... That was one of the weirdest plays I've ever seen. We could spend an hour talking about this team. Just because it's been 15 minutes and we haven't discussed the Bombers' defensive enough 400 yards again. Yeah, to an Alouette's offense that... So far this season hasn't been good. It was anemic to say the least. And this is the the one thing about the Bombers' defense that they've been doing they've done well so far this year is stopping the run. Um, they did a great job of that in the first couple of weeks. At, at one point, they had the best run defense in the yeah. league, and they were doing a good job in the first half of that. But in the second half, and especially that last Montreal touchdown drive, really it just blew wide open. And I think that you have to chalk part of that up to the Bombers' defense just being on the field all game long. I mean, in that first half, Montreal dominated time of possession. Uh, Bombers' offense struggled to get stuff going. Montreal was on the field for long periods of time at a time, and the defense gets tired at that point. Um, and then the Bombers' offense just clicks. Final minute and 35, and all of a sudden, it's weird. Is there something about this Bomber team when their bats are against the wall? It's particularly Matt Nettles. Well, that's that's that. Like, this is something that puzzles me because take the amount of points they've scored. Like, don't look at statistics for a second. The Bombers' offense, from the play you've seen on the field, how would on a scale of one to ten, one being bad, ten being good, how would you rate the Bombers' offense this season? Six, six, five. I'd rate it around average, right? When you don't account for the points, there's been a lot of times where. I mean, Matt Nichols heard the Boo Birds at Investors Group Field. He heard them Thursday night. Um, there's been times the offense hasn't gotten anything going at all. But yet the Bombers lead the league in points per game. Highest scoring team in the league. Three of the, what are we at, five games played so far for mm -hmm. the Bombers. Three of those games they've put up over 40 points. It's I, I will say this. Bombers are going to have to figure out a, a way to run the ball. Well, yes, I would agree. In October, November, when the weather gets colder. Right. And it's not that Andrew Harris isn't capable of it. I think it's just the way Andrew Harris... He's a unique running back in this league, right? Where I mean, he's more of a receiver-running yeah. back hybrid, right? Like, he's a guy... I mean, you had the Bombers in... In fact, I believe... Andrew Harris is actually on pace to have be like third in CFL history for catches in a season this season. Not out of just running backs, out of all receivers in the league. Yeah, you know what? For me, it's... And people made a big deal about the running back catching the ball, running the ball. You know, he's supposed to run the ball. The end of the day, he did the ball in his hand. How they did it to him in his hand doesn't really matter. It's what he does with it. And, and I think for me, for me, it's a benefit, Ryan. And it makes things really easy to have uh, to have Andrew Harris get the ball out of the backfield as opposed to running because he can kind of get a running start up to the line of scrimmage right. instead of having a wave for the ball. And then, but I don't know, for me, like, I don't have as big of an issue with Andrew Harris playing the game the way he's playing it, sure, I'd like him to get more rushing yards. But if this is what gets it done, if this is what makes Andrew Harris successful, and I want to play Blue Bottoms and winning football games, two thumbs up for me. I love watching him play. He has to be one of my favorite players. The last play of the game, like any other, find me a running back that would stay on his feet like that.
Jerome Messam, maybe. I would argue. You're in a very small. Yeah, Messam, John White when he's not injured, maybe. You know, that was that was tremendous play, and not only that one, the one before that as well. Matt Nichols with the game on the line, running head first. And I'll be honest, I was scared he would run out of time. Me too. Um, but I mean, he gave it everything on that play, and on the next play, Harris did as well. That takes a heck of an amount of athleticism right there. The way he kept his leg up, basically hand on the ground, crawling with his knee, not touching the ground, gets into the end zone. There's a bit of debate around the league, around the fans, whether he actually got into the end zone. But which game doesn't have its controversy? Yeah, it just happens to be magnified more on the final play of the game after a crazy comeback for the win. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not me discrediting, oh, because, you know, the Bombers won. Oh, it's no big deal, right? Like, if in fact it was a blown call, then yeah, that's kind of a big deal. I personally don't have enough evidence either way to give an opinion of whether, yes, he was for sure in or yes, he wasn't. Here's the problem. The re- the Bombers were aided by the officials on that play. It sucks that it was the last play of the game. The official did it right. Here's why. They call it a touchdown. It's automatically reviewed. They call one out on the one-yard line. There's a challenge flight coming. Well, you can't. Can you challenge in the final minute like that? Absolutely. Okay. There's an automatic... The league's challenge rules are so confusing to me. I don't even know what they are. Let's be real. There's an automatic review process that's initiated by calling it a touchdown. Right. The bottom line, the fact of the matter is, the Bombers, in the opinion of the official, got the ball over the goal line. Now, you have to look for indisputable evidence to overturn it, which I don't think it was there. Now, I would argue if you're suggesting... If it's on the one-yard line, they call it no touchdown. They still review it. I don't think they overturn it either way. Now, uh, maybe I'm misinterpreting what you're saying here, but if you're suggesting the way to call a situation like that, if you're not sure, is, oh, call it a touchdown because it's a scoring play, you're going to review it anyways. My thought on that, though, is, okay, if you're going to call it a touchdown, then there's not... you can only review it if there's conclusive evidence, uh, right? I understand it, but you have to take it out of the situation of this is the last play of the game with the winning score on the line. You have to remove that part of it. Because what happens? The referee says, say he's down on the one-yard line, no time left. There's a review either way, and I don't think the Bombers get the touchdown. I don't think there's evidence... To suggest the play being flipped the other way, whether it's a touchdown, whether it's not a touchdown, I don't think the evidence is there either way. Therefore, the official call has to stand. That's what I'm saying. And we're six weeks into the CFL season, and every every game we find ourselves left in a mystery. Is that going to be called? Is that not? Did they do it right? Did they mess up? You know, there's a lot of debate going around the league right now. For me, the refs missed a you want to talk about officials? They blew a bad, 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 bad pass interference call on the Bombers. Which, which one? Which set up the first Montreal touchdown. Yeah, I... This Ross is... Carmichael got victimized. He played that perfectly. Yeah. Now, I'm, take I... my Bomber hat off just for a minute. There's a play like that in every CFL game. Oh, totally. And I think there were questionable calls going towards both sides. Some people questioning whether, you know, the roughing the passer Chris Ackie took on Matt Nichols during that second last drive there. If, Nichols moved his head down a bit. It's debatable, right? Based on the rules, you never if, know. If it's borderline, don't put the rough in the position where he's got to throw the flight. It's simple. It, it's simple. Don't put the ref in a position where he feels the need to take the orange flight out of his pocket and put laundry on the field. There, there's so much debate, and it's sad because I'll go out and say this is the best CFL season I've seen in my lifetime. Overall, through six weeks, the best CFL season as a whole I've seen. 
but the major discussion point around the league is not just on how great the games we've been have seen. It's how every single time the command center is messed up, the refs have messed up. And I want to sum this up because I want to move on because yeah. I don't want to talk no, about I, the I refs sum all it up day long. Too. I, I have a far too at you first. I, I just wanted to say, you know, like the refs, the target of the anguish is starting, I think, to move away from the refs on the field and more towards the command center because I think people are starting to realize. I mean, obviously, it's hard in the heat of the moment when your favorite team you're cheering for mm-hmm. all of a sudden gets victimized by a penalty. But, I mean, like you've said last week, the refs, I mean, the play is going at them full speed, right? It's human mm-hmm. error. It's human error. Yeah, when I you said have... that two weeks ago at the coldies takeaway there what about karen yeah i mean when it comes to command center here you have the ability to slow down a play fast forward it rewind it do all of that take your time to get calls right and i don't think we've seen the command center do what we've expected them to do they're supposed to step in be that eye in the sky to overrule calls if the refs make a mistake on the field i think they target i think they protect the referees a little bit too much I would like to see a poll. If the referees would mind seeing their original call reverse more often, hmm. if it is an egregious call. Interesting. However, I will. I lost my other train of thought that I had. Probably have. for the better. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but I think. Oh, that's what I'm going to say. Are the referees and the command center under this much scrutiny? If the games aren't as close as they are, are they only really being magnified because every game is seemingly five points or less? Well, I'll tell you this, in in hindsight, if we have calls like this, highly controversial calls when Calgary's up 60-1, to no, like, I mean, obviously people are going to care, but it's not going to make a difference in a football game at that point. So I'm wondering, as much is, as everyone wants to say no lead is safe and you should never leave a football game mm-hmm. early, I think that's one where it's safe no, to I'm say. I'm just wondering, is it magnified more because the games are closer than ever before? I think that's a reasonable argument. But do you care about a blown call in the last two minutes if you're down by 10? Yeah. I mean, the Bombers in the last minute 35 made up 12 points, so... I, you know what I mean, right? I know what, I know what you mean. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's a good point, and I think it's something that, you know, the fans are starting to uh, league-wide speak out more about the... I mean, did you see the quote that uh, the Montreal running back had? Loading? He says, we're, and I'm paraphrasing, we're playing two two teams on the field. The opposition and the zebras. Yeah, I uh, I, I think it's something, and, and the commissioner or new commissioner Randy Ambrosi, like he's taking notice, I think, um, because people are starting. He's showing up to all these football games, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's something so far this season. He's mm-hmm. shown up to many many football games. He sees these things live. You have to think when he shows up to games, he talks to people, he hears what people are saying, he's active Absolutely. on social media, he knows he's. Probably got 50 million mentions a day of people telling him to fix his refing situation. You can't say he's not looking into it, right? Like, you have to think he realizes the situation, and this is a guy, but, but former you... player himself, correct? I'm Am I understanding that correct? Sorry? Former player himself, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so he gets it. I mean, he knows from this football he's, standpoint. He's one of the future missioners, Ryan. But I think understands where everybody's coming from. Because I think he's been everybody. He's been a former player. He's been a management type. He's got the business background. And that CBA doesn't look good for the CFL. Not suggesting there'll be a lot, though, but be curious to see who he sides with. All right. I want to move on. It's sure. been half an hour. I mean, that was a wild football game. There was a lot to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. It was one of those games, I just want to sum it up, that looking back on it, there's probably at least like 25 different plays. If they went an inch the other way, the Bombers lose that football game, right? I mean, onside kick was just perfect. Onside kick, just perfect. If Cunningham is two yards further inside, I don't think that would never get the ball. Not to mention... 
Brian Walker tackle at the one yard line, followed by the goal line stand by the Bombers I mean, there. Bath this up just a minute. Brian Walker came out flying in the first quarter. Brian Walker and Jackson Jeffcoat, two guys that really stood oh, out for I me. I love in that those game. guys. That Jeffcoat, he reminds me. Uh, touching a cowboy fan in the family. This is Justin Jeffcoat, played just like his dad. Hmm. A little bit of a motive, it doesn't stop. And Michael oh. Shea loves those players. Justin Jeffcoat, next game, please. I, uh, yeah, that football game was, was a crazy football game. And I guess I, just to sum it up, one thing I wanted to ask you or kind of talk about, because this is the Canadian football countdown. I was fortunate fortunate enough to see this one live, and mm-hmm. it was one of the greatest football games I've ever seen live. Mm-hmm. Top football games you've been fortunate enough to see live. You know what is weird? I was thinking, thinking about this, you know, while you were talking, and I had to be Canada in the stadium. The 2000 and... Oh, I, are you talking East Final? No, the 2000 and not the 2011 East semifinal against Hamilton, right? No, it's M- Montreal. Okay, okay. That then. was the year Glenn broke his arm. 2011. No, 2009. 2007. Oh, 2007. There you go. That's it. Thank you. Um. Montreal, remember this was without Anthony Calvillo at the time to see dealing with the medical situation. So Marcus Brady was the quarterback. The Alouettes were running the football game out. It was a two-point Alouette lead at the time. The Alouettes elected go for it inside the final, around the same time it took for the Bombers to engineer that comeback. Alouettes elect to go for it on third and short. The bomber defense anchored by Tom Cannon and Doug Brown on the defensive line helped Montreal to a turnover on downs, gave the bomber offense and Kevin Glenn the ball right there, and it was one or two or three runs by Charles Roberts, sets up Troy West with a game-winning boot onto the East Final next, the following week against Toronto. Unfortunately, Glenn breaks his arm. Right. That leads to the great cup uh, game played by Ryan Dinwiddie. Um, another one I can think of just real quick at the stadium. Bombers didn't win this game, but they were down uh, 14 points late. Got two touchdowns, the second of which was to Darnell, a former receiver by the name of Darnell McDonald, who used to play for the Bombers. Okay. In the batted end zone. And I remember it because it happened right in front of me. He made the over-the-shoulder grab the tie of the game, and it's just like two minutes under a minute left. And that's when Toronto took the ball after allowing the Bombers to tie it coming down the field. And no Noel Fontaine kicked the game-winning field goal from 54 yards with no time left. Do you remember what year that one was? or I, I don't know. It was around the same time. Might have been, Might have been a little earlier than 2007. But there's just instances that I remember. Right, for me. And, of course, being in the stadium, uh, the night Melchito broke the all-time touchdown record. Mm, nice. That's another one. But uh, that, those are infinite games that I remember. Right. For me, it's more, I would have to go more recency bias just because uh, I don't really remember too many games from Canada in stadium. I was more of a young lad, you know, back then when mm-hmm. I... I, I did go to a couple games at Camden Stadium. Um, at, the, at Maroons Road, there were some red football games in that place. Um, but I don't remember too many of the ones I've been to. I I kind of started going to them more so in the last year or two there. Um, but a couple games that stand out for me. I mean, first of all, Thursday night has to be up there as one of the top games I've seen live in person. I don't think it's number one, though. Um it's pretty close, and I think it's very similar game. But I have to go back to last year. I believe it was week 13, 14, something like that. The BC Lions in town. Yeah. Bombers yes, hosting the, the BC Bombers Lions. The stop at the goal line. The stop at the goal line on Chris Rainey, I would believe. That was also the game where the Bombers pulled out a bunch of trick plays in that one as right. well. You had the Rory Colwert pass. Right. To was Matt that the game before. where the Bombers had the big lead? BC came all the way back, and then the Bombers rallied late in the fourth quarter, and then. 
set the stage for the goal line stand. Um, that was, I've, that, that seems like every game the, the Lions and the Bombers play. Um, but yeah, to me that one very similar to this game, and I think yeah. the comeback and the stop was more, and the comeback and that was more impressive yeah. in this one. Yeah. But you also have to look at the standpoint of the Bombers. I'd say this season, average football team. Montreal Alouettes, average-ish football team. It's early in the season. You have to look at last year. Bombers and Lions were competing for that home playoff game. I mean, and that was a huge football game, and it was a great game to watch. How many times did it play last year? Three times? Two times in the regular season, back to back. Twice, because, all right, right, late in the year, both those games were really good, and the playoff game was really good. This year was really good. I mean. Um, So I would say that game, to me, was one of the highlights I've seen there. Um, Probably one of the Banjo Bowls. Banjo Bowl is always an interesting game. Remember the Banjo Bowl where Michael Bishop started for the Bombers? I mean, Banjo Bowl every year is an exciting game to watch, right? So I can't think of one off the top of my head. Again, there was the Banjo Bowl at Maroons World. I went to three of them at the old stadium, and each of them was infamous. But just to kind of put a bow on this. Yeah, and then the other other two quick ones I can think of – 2014 Bombers early on in the season. First of all, that opening game of the season against Toronto, Drew Willie threw like three, four touchdown passes, had a great game. But it was a game in week two. The Ottawa Red Blacks had to buy the first week of the season, came into town, up 21-0 early on in the game, and Bombers came back and they won that one by a touchdown. I think it was 35-28. And then also you and I in 2015 had the opportunity to go see the Grey Cup, Edmonton, Ottawa. That personally was a highlight uh, of games I've seen live. I, you know what? Just for the hat of it, also the 2011 East Final in there, too. Mm. I mean, I didn't go to the game with you. I went to the game with somebody else. But, right. You know, that's that's really, for me, infamous bomber games that stand out. Um, you know, CFL games in general. I mean, we can talk about this next week, but... There was a season opening day between the Riders and the Alouettes, 54-51 in 20... 2010. 2010. This was right after the Grey Cup, uh, 13th Man Grey Cup, right? Yeah, week one. That was a 54-51 game, so... Um, yeah, let us know what your uh, what's the greatest football game you've ever seen live. Tweet it at us, at CFC on MikeFM. Um we want to know what's the greatest football game you've had the chance to see live. Uh, the greatest, the craziest, the most wild, anything like that. Um, yeah, I'd like to talk to somebody who went to the FOD Bowl. That great cup that was played over two days because of the FOD. Maybe we should get Ed Tate on the show one week. Go back to Always Obama welcome. Memory lane. Um, <laughs> this was about a... 15-minute segue to what I wanted to talk about, actually, was that so far this season, like I said earlier, best season I can remember in my lifetime watching in the CFL. Um, Now, these stats have changed since after Thursday night's game, but as of Thursday night's game, 77% of games so far this season decided in the final three minutes, and 55% of games decided by four points or less. You can't get any closer than that. I mean, those numbers went give or take a few percentage point either way but that's still ridiculous that's ridiculous I mean, it's been such a close year so many exciting games really we've had i would say less than i can the number of dud games we've had this year i can count on my on one hand and they mostly involve one team cough cough right the hamilton tiger cats have produced a couple of those dud games um but the rest have been exciting another thing that's made this such a great year is just the sheer amount of insane catches we've seen. Mm-hmm. And I think this week, Deron Carter might have taken the cake. We saw Brian Burnham a couple weeks ago make a ridiculous catch, and we thought to ourselves, okay, that's catch of the year, we're done. Like, there's no way that's going to be beat. Deron Carter comes around yesterday and says, here, hold this, and goes and, you know. After he won ups, uh, the auto receiver on the drive before. S.J. Green. Yeah. Green made a highlight real catch the drive before. And then 
He made a catch right before the half, Ryan, and right out of the half, which was similar. The one out of the half, of course, was a first down grab. But, I mean, that... Brian, how do you put a highlight path together of the top 10 playoff catches or the top 10 CFL catches this year? And yet we're only in week six. I mean, it's been that kind of year. And take your pick. There's Deron Carter's catch this week. The ridiculous Brian Burnham catch. I would argue Darvin Adams' one-hand touchdown catch last week for the Bombers, right? Um, S.J. Green, that ridiculous catch. We've seen so many this year. What's your front runner so far for catch of the year? Does Deron Carter, Does he? is he in the lead right now? or? Oh, boy. I have to give it to one of the Brian Burnham catches. I'm not. I'm not sure which one. No, I'd argue that one in the end zone. Yeah, it's probably the one I'm thinking of. But the one that went through the guy's hand, and Brian Burnham somehow makes the catch in like triple coverage. The receiver talent in the league this year is just extraordinary. The talent overall. Talent overall. We've seen so many young receivers just step up this year. I love seeing it. Um, next man up for the Calgary Stampeders now. Because Coach Dave Dickinson, I just following this Calgary Stampeders Twitter right now, receiver Kamar Jordan is likely to be uh, headed to the six-game injury list. So Kamar Jordan out six weeks now for the Stampeders gets injured in that game. That's kind of a costly what injury. Was it worth the city to one victory at the cost of one of your one of the guys that may have been in the running for MOP in the West? Well, I tell you this, I mean, the guy who filled in for him, Michelle is his last name. I don't remember. I heard about it. Four catches. I'm... 190 yards. Yeah. Uh, six catches. 190 yards for him. So, I mean, next guy up in Calgary. Calgary's got that wide receiver depth. I, that's one of the things. They've got John Huffnagel, knows how to find that depth. Um, so, yes, Kamar Jordan's out for six weeks. But does that slow the Stampeders down that much? I don't think it does. I think you have the next guy on the team stepping up. You know, look for maybe Lamar Durant. Now to all of a sudden start picking up the pace a little more. Tavares Daniels, I would argue, coming into this year, you expected him to be the number one guy along, but Jordan's no, still in the show. Nobody's about Markway McDaniel yet. That's unbelievable. Markway McDaniel's that guy that's, yeah, I mean, he produces week in and week out. I don't know if he played this week. He didn't actually have a catch this week. See what I mean? You got to go down that depth chart so far to talk about all the guys that we were talking about when it came to Calgary Stampeders this year. And this is a game, I guess, we'll move into talking about the Stampeders and the Ticats. Uh, I mean, 60-1 to 1 the final score And a score certain odor that comes from tighter cat land that doesn't particularly smell good. I mean, if you want to go back to last week and criticize us and, you know, for what we said and how wrong you can possibly be in a week, last week you and I, this, these very chairs were sitting here talking about, okay, Hamilton, you know, had a chance to beat the Eskimos, the undefeated Eskimos the week before. They played pretty good for the most part until that last drive collapsed. Like, this is something Hamilton can build off yeah. of. And this Calgary team that had by their standards, had been playing not the greatest football. This game was a trap game, right? Like, we thought yeah. coming in, if Hamilton was going to pick up their first win, this was their chance. I'd, I'm just, Boy, we were wrong. I'm just blown away. I'm absolutely blown away. I looked at the talent Hamilton has offensively. The problem is they can't stay on the field. They can't keep their quarterback upright. They're asking a lot from their defense right now, which has been bad, to be absolutely polite. But I don't believe their defense has had a lot of help from their offense. I mean, 60-1, to 1, there's no positive. Is there, is there a positive spin you can possibly make on a loss like that? I don't think there is. Like, if you're Kent Austin and you're going into that dressing room after the game, like, what else can you say but... Yeah, let's yeah, get we'll him next time, right? Us. Like, 
He said, quote, we'll put it behind us. Well, exactly. Like, there's not much else you can say. Oh, great job on that one point, guys. Like, no. <laughs> Sergio Castilla, play with the game. <laughs> That's something, and I know, like, it's hypocritical saying this because the Bombers did get shut out 52 nothing mm-hmm. in the Labor Day game one time. And I questioned this back then as well. How do you go an entire 60-minute CFL game without even kicking a single field goal? It appalls me. You should at least be able to score in today's CFL one touchdown a team. And this is not just like me bagging on the Thai Cats. Like, like I said, I've seen the Bombers do it, right? And we've seen a couple games where teams have been, actually been shut out. And it's like, how do you not get down the field? And granted, I'm not a CFL player myself. I don't know how hard it is to actually make these plays, but you would think you should be able to. Um, and that's something that it's a testament to Calgary being able to keep the boots to them, right? Because usually, you know, you have a defense that softens up as the game goes along. You know, you kind of loosen up a little bit because you're up by a whole bunch. Like 12 points in the final minute and 35 seconds. <laughs> Montreal. But no <laughs> doubt. I mean, you tapped the screws on them from basically the opening kickoff. It was 38-1 to 1 at halftime. Bo Levi Mitchell played the first half only. And Jerome Messam was pulled halfway through. I bet you fantasy owner, fantasy players... With uh, who had Bo Levi Mitchell coming into this week. I, I personally know at least one um, coming into the week. You know, you think they're playing the they're playing the tie cats. Oh, this is the this is the week he's gonna blow it wide open. You look at the final score. Oh, 60 to one. That's great. Bo Levi Mitchell. What six touchdown passes? Like 500 yards? No, he played the first half, threw for under 200 yards and a touchdown. And then he was on the bench because he didn't need to play anymore at that point. They had Roy Finch return a kick for a touchdown. They had an interception return for a touchdown. I mean, on all sides of the ball, Calgary dominated, and the score reflects it. For me, it's just puzzling the Thai Cats at this point because look at the talent-wise: Thai Cats versus everyone else in the league. But then that's six... on on paper, on roster, like they have six DBs right now on the six-team injured list. But even then, like, talent-wise, between, like, this team versus the rest of the league, if you look at it on paper, like, it's not like Hamilton is built as a bad football team. Do you agree with me on that? When you look at the talent of this team, I don't think they lost that many, that much talent from last year. Coming into the year, I had Hamilton better talent-wise than Saskatchewan, and it wasn't even close. It's, uh... Like I I don't get it. What's what's going on? Do you do you do you have an explanation for this Tie Cats team? Because do you think that first of all, do you think they can turn it around? I think they can turn it around. I I really don't think they can turn it around to make the playoffs. Because but they can certainly turn it around. And I hope they do because I want more interesting football games. Even though we've gotten so many of them. And it pains me to see Ticats fans go through this because we've been here in Winnipeg through many bad years of Bombers football, and Hamilton themselves have Sorry, endured. But... Okay. And Hamilton themselves have endured so many years of bad football that I mean, this like it's got to be tough so far this season to watch the Ticats like this. It's not like your team's even making games interesting i would argue that one against edmonton they it, did it's just a what do you do right but the 10 often has had so much success three trips in four years to the eastern final one trip for the great cup a great cup they should have arguably won were it not for a stupid holding call on a brandon banks run back it's like what do you do right I, I, I don't know if this football team can turn it around. And you and I were having a conversation about this like, yesterday. Is that Kalaros the good quarterback? Yeah. It's sad to see his talent get... Like, this team has talent. Wide receiver, they have talent. I, I just, like, I don't want to see what happened to do Willie happen as that Kalaros. But I think we're almost at that point. But who do you bring in? Are we now looking at the Ticats uh, putting together a big package to try to get James Franklin out of Edmonton? No. No, and the reason I say that is because I don't think the quarterbacking has been the issue in Hamilton. No, and I I don't think there's any reason to give up on Zach Gueros because we've seen what he can do. 
It's just he can't, and I didn't see the title redeemed, and I was, I, would, I, I wanted to skim some of the highlights just to kind of see. But for me, the defense is not helping the offense. Oh, certainly not. I mean, that defense, uh, uh, we we talked about coming into this game, how, how many points, like they're averaging almost 40 points against the game. Here they go and let in 20 more than that. Average so. margin and defeated about double digits. Yeah, I mean, the Ticats this season, 90 points for, 201 against. That's double. That's more than 2 to 1. 110 extra points against than 4. Divide that by the number of games, and that's your average margin of defeat. 110. That's like 20 points. That's over 20 points, average margin of defeat. Granted, this game is kind of, you know, 60 to 1 really impacts that average. But I just want to say kind of, like in terms of the Ticats, do I think, do I hope they can turn it around? Of course, right? Like better football teams all around the league is better for the league as a whole. Do I think this Ticats team can turn it around? No, I honestly don't. Do I think they're going to pick up a random win? Probably. In fact, I'll go out there and say this right now. After what I saw Thursday night, crazy game between the Bombers, you know, after what I've seen all season long, the past couple of years in the CFL, I wouldn't even be surprised if they beat Edmonton this week. Do I think it's going to happen? Do I think there's a chance of it happening? Absolutely not. But would I be surprised to see it? No, because the CFL is a league that makes no sense. And we spend an hour each week sitting here and trying to make sense of a league that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I hope it's a bomber state that Hamilton wins this week. They're going to be in because- tough... Because now you're getting to a point where you don't want to be that team that gives Hamilton their first win. Right. I, they're going to be in tough to win. They're playing the Eskimos. The Eskimos are 6-0 and so far? or is it, No, they had a bye week in there. 5-0, and right? Um, quickly, because we are running out of time, I want to get through picks if we have time for that yet as well. Yep. The Edmonton Eskimos, I mean, this week they went up against the Lions, who are the best, other best team in the league coming in. And really, I mean, they had a strong game against BC. So who's the better team right now, Calgary or Edmonton? I think it's Edmonton. I think Calgary dominated Hamilton this week, but uh, given season long, I think Edmonton's the better team the way they've played. Uh, and they but showed Edmonton has so many injuries. They showed it to BC this week, and that's the question. The infirmary's filling up. I mean, both kickers went down this week, right? Like Sean White went down. The backup, I forget his name, unfortunately. Off the top of my head, he went down this week. Um, I mean, in the final two minutes, you had Odell Willis taking a kickoff. He's a jack-of-all-trades. I don't know how much of that game you saw, but defensive lineman, kicker, and ref. Earlier on in the game, Odell Willis goes and looks looks towards the play clock along the sideline, realizes that that BC's uh, time is running out to get the playoff, Oh, they haven't had the ball yet. Refs haven't done anything. Willis is in the backfield. Time count signal for the refs. And the refs like, yeah, he's right. Like, <laughs> I love Odell Willis. One of my favorite characters in the league. You know, we have to discuss character in the CFL. I mean, there's some pretty darn good ones. Perhaps next week's uh, weekly uh, no. countdown, top characters in the CFL. And Odell Willis... Would be in my top three. Definitely. Um, the Eskimos, yeah. I mean, they've, they, they're getting injured big time, but they also have other guys stepping up, and this team, just like Calgary, has the depth. I mean, just look even at wide receiver. Um, Adarius Bowman out. He's been their go-to guy. They lost Darrell Walker in the offseason. Does that slow them down? No. Brandon Zilstra had averaged over 100 yards a game and he played in the last six games last year. He's doing. He's got averaging more than that this year through only five games. He's stepping up as one of the top receivers in the league. You have Vidal Hazelton. I mean, a hundred and eight yard touchdown pass to Hazelton this week. Um, he's stepping up big time. You got a guy like Duke Williams. Um, this team has got the depth. Running back, we'll see what happens now because Trayvon Van went down this week. Is it Calvin McCarty going to be going as the starting running back going forward? Boy, that, that goes way back one. That's something I'd love to see. McCarty's one of the guys that's been around the league for a long time. 
He works hard all the time. I'd love to see him get a shot. Be starting running back for a couple weeks here. Um, do you have any final quick thoughts on the Eskimos, or do we want to move into picks? I'm surprised they're five and all. Um, I had them third in the West. I still think when all is said and done, Calgary finishes first in the West. It remains to be seen. We'll leave it at I, that. I just like I, I can envision. I can envision the road to the Great Cup not going through McMahon Stadium. Interesting. Speaking of Calgary, this week uh, we'll get into the weekly picks here quickly because we got only a couple minutes. So let's finish it off. Uh, Calgary's in Toronto. The Argos hosting the Stampeders. I'm taking Calgary to win this game. I mean, I'm going to keep going with what I do all the time, picking Calgary every single week. Yeah, I would agree with it. Although, I think this will be closer than people think. Do you think there's a bit of a concern that, oh, after such a big 60-1 to win, you get a little ahead of yourselves? Or is that team so well coached? I would be concerned about... Far more teams in the CFL before I would worry about Calgary in this situation. I would agree with you on that. Um, the Bombers are in Ottawa on Saturday at noon Eastern time. You sure? Am I looking at the right week? Friday night, 6 o'clock. Not according to the CFL Pick'em website. It's, uh, they move me, game, but it's 6 o'clock on Friday. All right, uh, CFL pick might want to fix their website the then. schedule right here. You can... Okay, well, uh, check the schedule for yourselves. Don't believe anything we say. Um, anyways, Mike, quickly, Ed, Ottawa Red Blacks hosting the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Winnipeg. That is correct. Friday, August 4th, 6 p.m. Okay, CFL pick you need to fix your website. Um, we found a bug. <laughs> Uh, Ryan, get on it. You're, you're taking. I'm taking the Bombers as well. Um, although Ottawa coming off a bye this week, technically, but technically, technically but not. Monday and um, they got to win a game eventually. I just think the Bombers after after that late finish, they're, they're going to have momentum coming into this week. For me, I will say one thing. One more thing about the Bombers. We'll look back in November at this game last week. Agreed. Um, Eskimos. Undefeated, Ticats winless. Ticats made it kind of close the last time, but then they lost 60 to one this week. Do um, I have any reason to believe that this will be close? No, but given that we don't believe it will, it probably will be. Um, I'm not going to go and pick the Ticats. I'm taking the Eskimos wholeheartedly, but don't be surprised if we're talking about Hamilton, like. Just given how crazy the CFL is, I don't think there's any chance it happens, but I also wouldn't be shocked if it did. And I'll Kate leave that Ryan one I'm, ta- I'm taking the Eskimos. Um, BC hosting Saskatchewan. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. You, I didn't get my pick. I thought you took Edmonton. No. Okay. I picked Hamilton. Of course he did. Moving on. <laughs> I have no further you comments. You don't want anything to do with what I had to say there, huh? Uh, no, no, no. I just think it's irrational, and I'm moving on. Um, <laughs> mostly because we're running out of time. Okay. Uh, unless you have a quick one line. No, as, I don't. Okay. <laughs> just a random guess. Uh, BC hosting Saskatchewan. I'm taking the Lions. I think the Lions are the better football team here. BC no offense to Saskatchewan. Hosting Saskatchewan? Yeah. Yeah, this is already BC by less than a touchdown. All right. Those are our weekly picks. That's our weekly show. Follow us on Twitter, at CFC on MikeFM, on Facebook as well. Same thing. Uh, We'd love to talk football with you. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Well, we got just over a minute left. Next week, we're back uh, Thursday. Thursday well, at 2 p.m. Note the time. Yes. Enjoy a long weekend, everybody. Be safe. Don't do anything crazy. 
Enjoy CFL, that. do everything crazy. We love crazy football games. Um, hopefully we're in for another interesting week. I, I just, I can't wait to start getting into Bison football and high school football uh, in the fall. I hope we can donate a segment uh, of our show to that. I'm sure we can make time for it. I can in, cut out uh, a couple rants. In uh, September, but I mean, Coach Dobie will always make the Bison competitive. Behalf of Ryan Coopers and Michael Justin, goodbye. We'll talk to you on that sweet Thursday. I'm in for Pat Mooney on Wednesday. Good night, everybody.